0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer. I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'm looking very much forward to this episode today. In the last episode, we talked about one of the greatest and most fundamental foundational doctrines of the Bible, the deity of Jesus. We focused our attention upon Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, a verse that says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The point being made is that all that is deity dwelt in our Lord. In him was the fullness of God himself, or to put it another way, God in all of his fullness dwelt in Jesus. To make it as clear as possible, in Jesus was the completeness of deity. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 express the absolute and perfect, essential, and personal deity of the Lord. We noted in that episode that the deity of Jesus on earth was repeatedly foretold in the Old Testament prophets and in the Psalms, and that the New Testament shows us that while on earth, Jesus possessed and utilized attributes of deity. To name just a few, we found that Jesus forgave sins. That was in Luke chapter 5. He had power over nature, calming a raging storm simply by saying, Peace, be still. That's in Mark chapter 4. He had the power of deity over disease, over demons, over death, even over his own life. We saw indication of his omniscience in John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, where we read, But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. We found that all things were created by him and for him, and that he was before all things, and that by him all things consist or are upheld by the word of his power. All of this was showing that Jesus was fully God on earth. The point was made that Jesus was no less God on earth than he was God before he came to earth. And he was no less God on earth than he was God after he returned to heaven. The Lord possessed while on earth all of the attributes of deity, for he could not be deity without the attributes of God. However, there is another part to this equation that is so wonderful and incredible, so full of mercy and love, that it is beyond my capability to fully understand it, much less explain it. For not only was Jesus fully God on earth, he was also fully man. As we saw, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 told us that in Christ dwelt all that was in deity in bodily form. What an incredible truth that is. As 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 tells us, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. John chapter 1 verse 14 states the magnificent truth of the incarnation with these words. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The point was made in our last episode that when the Greek word for flesh is used of Jesus, it refers to the humanity of the Lord, the totality of all that is essential to manhood, i.e. spirit, soul, and body. Let's focus now on the humanity of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, We find one of the most famous of the Messianic prophecies. The prophet wrote therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel. All of us know that is exactly what happened. Let's just simply read Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. It tells us now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep. And did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a woman. His birth, not as conception, but his birth, was as natural as yours or mine. We find him as a child growing up as children do. It's amazing the amount of time that folks have spent speculating about the childhood of Jesus and the bold assertions that have been made about what he knew or did not know, what he did or did not do. Personally, I believe that all such needs to be put away, and we simply need to stick to what the Bible actually tells us. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 40 we read, And the child continued to grow and became strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. In the same chapter, but later in his childhood, at twelve years of age, there was the event in the temple at Jerusalem. In verses 51 and 52 we find, And he went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. This is what we know for certain. All of the rest is simply speculation and can really lead people down the wrong path. Jesus repeatedly referred to himself as the son of man, a messianic title going back to Ezekiel, but yet clearly stressing his manhood. We see Jesus experiencing the things that we experience. For example, when Jesus was in the wilderness in Matthew chapter four, We read in verses 1 and 2, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. Just as all men experience hunger, so did Jesus. Turning to John chapter 4 verses 5 through 7, we find Jesus tired and thirsty. It tells us, So he came to a city of Samaria, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from the journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Even as he was upholding all things by the word of his power, Jesus got tired and thirsty. I don't understand it. But we can see that it is true. What does the situation with Lazarus tell us about the humanity of Jesus? In John 11, verses 32 through 35, we find, Therefore when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. He felt such sympathy. He had such compassion. He was moved by human suffering, just as we are moved. The Lord was also tempted. Consider Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 15. The Hebrew writer told us, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. This truth creates an interesting dilemma for those who teach that Jesus, by nature, is totally depraved, absolutely inclined to evil. How do they deal with the humanity of Jesus? Some have gone so far in their speculation to assert that Jesus did not fully assume the human nature of man on earth. When you think about it, that makes sense. If man is by nature totally depraved, wholly inclined to evil, then how could Jesus have taken on that nature without its inherent corruption? The truth of the matter is that man is not totally depraved and does not have an absolutely corrupt nature. The clearly taught humanity of Jesus denies that false doctrine. Then again, there are those who have felt compelled to come up with some sort of explanation concerning how Jesus could have been tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin. There are those who teach that Jesus had a a leg up, so to speak. They teach that in some ways his deity protected his humanity from sinning, and that's why he did not sin. I don't buy that. And it is most certainly not what Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 15 teaches. To teach that the Lord's deity protected him from sin is a failure to truly comprehend a central truth of Christianity, which is that one historic person, Jesus the Christ, was truly both God and man, not less fully God than really man, and not less completely man than truly God. It is an attempt to explain something that I do not believe our finite minds are fully capable of comprehending. Jesus was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. My friends, all means all or every, and it is all inclusive. The mental gymnastics people go through to make that statement fit into their previously held ideas are amazing. What we know without question is that Jesus was tempted in all things as we are, yet he did not give in to the temptation and sin. In fact, I believe that Jesus knew the extent and power of temptation to a degree greater than we will ever know it. He knew it in its totality. Why do I say that? Because as you and I have been tempted, at some point in time we gave in, we succumbed and sinned. Jesus went to that point and beyond never succumbing and sinning. Does he know how we feel? Oh yes, he knows. Now the question is, why did Jesus do this? Why did he choose to become fully man on earth, even as he was fully God? Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 through 18, and see the answer. The Hebrew writer wrote the following, But we do see him who has been made a little lower Than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he was suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Jesus became man, even while he retained his deity, in order that he might take hold of man and save us from the bondage of sin and death. How is he going to do this? By being our great and merciful high priest. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, the high priest had to first slay the sacrificial lamb and then carry its blood into the most holy place to make atonement for his own sins and for the sins of the people jesus came here to sacrifice and he was both the offerer and the offering look with me at romans or hebrews rather chapter 10 in verse 5 we find therefore when he comes into the world he says sacrifice an offering thou hast not desired but a body thou hast prepared for me. Skipping down to verse 9 and reading through verse 14, the passage continues and says, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all times those who are sanctified. That is what he did. Jesus came to earth being fully God and retaining all of the attributes of deity and became at the same time man with all the essential attributes of man in order that he might die as a sacrifice, paying the debt we owe for our sins even though he was sinless. He had to remain sinless to give back to God on behalf of all men what we take from him when we sin, a perfect, pristine, non-corrupted human being. He did it that we might go to heaven when we die. He did it, my friends, because he loves us. I would pray that you would all join in me in thinking, perhaps this very day, of the practical applications of this incredible and wondrous truth in your life. Maybe you won't, but I pray that you do, and then have it make a difference in the way you live. Thanks for listening.